In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. I can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! Broncos country, what is going on? Happy to have you with us here for episode 50 of Mile High Magic. Man, you guys are great. You all are what makes this show awesome. Alongside my partner, Nikki Javala, I am Michael Spencer. Glad to be with you. And boy, do we have some things to talk about right now. Uh, Crazy, crazy time in our country and in the sports world in general. Nikki, you and I had a chance to go out on Saturday to downtown Denver, where the majority of the Broncos players participated uh, in a protest. Of course, these protests have been going on uh, throughout the country, throughout the town here in Denver. And uh, I thought it was a really, really awesome opportunity. Player-led that the Broncos went out and got an opportunity to voice their opinions, to let the community know that they stand with them through this time. Um, and I, I thought it was a really, really impactful thing that the Broncos players put together and and were a part of on Saturday Saturday afternoon. It's amazing the change in the conversation over the last four years. Um, when you think back to 2016, when Colin Kaepernick and former Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall and others um, began to take a knee during the national anthem to protest what so many are protesting now, which is police brutality and racism and just social injustices against minorities in this country. Um, it definitely feels like the conversation has gained significant momentum this time um, versus 2016, which is unfortunate for those players who really put themselves out there to really stand up for what they believed in, because I know they took a lot of backlash. But the important thing is that it definitely feels like there's more reception and more understanding to what um, black people in America, to what minorities in America um, have been experiencing. So it's it's really neat to see um, athletes kind of lead this charge in many ways. Um, I felt like for so many years, um, many were unwilling, maybe afraid, maybe uncomfortable about speaking up on these issues. Um, and now I, I, it feels like many of them have really embraced their, their platform and their power to affect change. So it's, it was, that whole protest was so powerful. I mean, there were thousands, mm-hmm. um, lining the streets downtown and civic center park, um, 
it was it was pretty amazing. Six players stood up to talk and address the crowd and speak about their experiences and why they felt it was important for them to be there. And the majority of the Broncos coaching staff was there too. Um, Joe Ellis was there. Uh, a number of staffers were there. So it was it was a neat thing to see, and it was good that the league says it finally supports players yeah. during this time. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, but it was it was really a, a powerful afternoon in Denver. There are so many different dynamics here at play, and I totally agree. It feels different than it did in, in 2016. And I've talked to guys about that. Ask Kareem Jackson about that. I know you've had those conversations with those guys. You go back to 2016, and yes, Kaepernick started by taking a knee, and then Brandon Marshall, obviously a former Bronco, you know, followed that. And there were guys around the league, Eric Reed, who who started to do that as well. But there was a very, very distinct and palpable feeling of uncomfortability of of these guys not knowing what to do right like they didn't know if they could support Brandon Marshall because they didn't know what would happen if they did and you started to see things happen guys were losing endorsements Brandon Marshall had his jersey burned outside of the Broncos facility for crying out loud they were they were they got death un- threats their, yes. their parents got death threats it's yes it's- pretty horrifying and so and the league didn't stand by them the league didn't do anything about it and so there was this feeling of okay what are we going to do and and these guys who were doing this really i think in my mind kind of felt isolated right because they didn't know how to respond and and the rest Mm -hmm. of the league the players on their own team didn't know if they could stand with them or if they wanted to now it feels completely different um And I think you're exactly right. What's what's going to drive the real change is what happens from here. Roger Goodell came out and said, we were wrong to not listen to our players back in 2016. After being Just, pressured to say yes, that. <laughs> yes. Still hasn't mentioned Colin Kaepernick's name, though. John Elway came out and said that he was wrong to not listen to his players. And I think there was some pressure being put on Elway to come mm-hmm. out and say something. So what happens now? Because I think what happens next is going to be the most important. What happens when games resume and do players mm-hmm. take a knee and how will they be treated then? Yep. And and what happens? It's one thing for the Broncos to tweet out, we stand by our players and we're going to lift up their voices. What are you actually going to do to help drive this change? Yep. And the, the next couple of weeks and months to me will be the biggest factor in what actually happens here and whether or not it's more than just talk. Because back in 2016, there was a whole lot of talk and not a lot of action. Yeah. And I think it has to be more than just talk and more than just writing a check. Um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, how the Broncos handled Brandon Marshall's protests and they said, you know, we, yeah, we, we support you, but we'd like you to stand. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of that half-assed support like we're gonna straddle the the fence here and you know do as much as we can without getting in trouble ourselves now they say they really want to promote their players voices so there is a bit of hypocrisy there and i think players see it but they're also trying to be open-minded and you know understand that people can change too um you know i i thought what happened with vic fangio and we'll get into this later i thought that that was 
really telling um, and really spoke volumes about this team and kind of where the league stands on these issues. Um, but first, I, I, I want to play part of this interview that we had with Todd Davis because he was one of the players that were really instrumental in bringing um, this protest together. Um, you got like a whole construction crew at your house. Yeah, you know, it started as roof work last week, and now I think they're doing something on the gutters. I thought they were done, so apologies for the drilling that hey, you hear you got, you got uh, have in the background as we record this podcast today. <laughs> But we're going to throw it to Todd Davis here, let him explain kind of how all of this came together um, this past weekend, why it was important for the players to really stand up and share their experiences and use their voice and their platform. So here's what Todd Davis had to say. So just, you know, kind of tell us how this whole protest came together and the involvement of players and coaches and who organized it and everything. Uh, yeah, so, you know, we, we were having... Uh, team meetings about everything going on in the country, um, about the riots, about uh, social injustice and police brutality and systemic racism. And everybody was just sharing their heart and really speaking from the heart and saying what everything that was going on right now meant to them. Um, and then from that group, it was a smaller group of players, myself, Cream uh, Jackson, uh, Bob Miller, Alexander Johnson, uh, Justin Simmons, Bradley Chubb, and we came together and we really felt like it was a great time to do something positive uh, in the community. Um, you know, we're all affected by this. We play football and we're football players, but a lot of our lives are spent outside of those lines. Um, so, you know, we felt like it was important for us to get out there and uh, speak for our community and be a loud voice of positivity for our community and really do something that would help um, start change um, and really help this world to be a better place. Um, I think a lot of us have children and we all talked about how we want to leave a better world for our children. When did the conversations for this really begin? Um, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. Um, everything kind of happened really quick. Um, we wanted it to be something that happened now and uh, something while everything was going on in the world, we wanted to get out there and uh, be at the forefront and uh, you know, as soon as possible. So that's why we chose Saturday. And you guys kind of piggybacked on another protest that was already scheduled downtown, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, Kareem did a great job um, organizing a lot of that, him and his people. Um, he was the one that kind of got us connected with the different groups. Were you surprised at all by the size of the turnout? Yeah, I actually was. Great to see that many people in support. Um, and all fighting for the same thing, you know, equality and trying to make this world a better place. So it was great to see, you know, a huge turnout of people. Um, and then, you know, what made me the happiest is to see the huge turnout, turnout of our teammates and see guys fly in uh, from out of from out of state and see Joe Ellis and Coach Vic Fangio, um, you know, leaders of our organization there to support. Um, I think that meant a lot. What do you hope people take away from the protests and just generally this time right now? Um, I think my biggest thing is just to hear um, our message, to hear our heart. Um, you know, we all want this world to be a better place. Uh, we don't want anybody to look at what we're doing and feel negatively about it. Um, I think just everybody can agree that this world could be a better place. Um, really uh, promote positivity, start the conversations of how we can be better, how we can be better people, um, how we can be better fathers, husbands. Um, so that's what we want to do. And that's what I want people to see um, and really get from it. 
Do you feel like now there's greater awareness or a more willingness to listen and try to understand compared to, you know, when a lot of the protests during the national anthem were happening back in 2016-2017? Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the biggest things, the commissioner's statement that he put out, um, you know, he said he dropped the ball early on uh, with some stuff that was the protest that happened early on. And um, I think it was huge to say that. And I think he was receptive and um, understood why those protests happened at the beginning. And now he even said that he would uh, support the protests that went on and protest with us. Uh, so I definitely think that's a totally different climate uh, for uh, being able to speak your mind and to hearing our message. Last one for you. Um, are you guys planning anything else as a team to continue this conversation, um, you, to continue to try to affect change? You know, um, we still we still talk um, pretty regularly as a team. Um, you know, I'm working on some things. Um, I know other people are working on some things um, to bring guys together. I know there's members of the team that are going to do more things together. I don't know if the team as a whole, what we have in store. But, um, you know, this definitely is the end of what we want to do in our community. We definitely didn't want this march or this walk to be a one-hit wonder. We wanted that to be, you know, the starting for, for starting point for us to be able to make change in our community. So there'll definitely be more. Uh, we've talked to different groups like the ACLU um, and uh, talked with them to see what more we can do in our community to really help and make change. So uh, we're def we definitely have the ball rolling. I want to thank Todd Davis for taking the time. I know he's been making the rounds um, talking about how the Broncos protests came together and their plan moving forward. And I want to get into Vic Fangio's comments from last week, but before we do, I, I want to mention Hydrant. Um, top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com football. That's drinkhydrant.com football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com football. Now let's get into what happened with Vic last week because he had a rather eventful few days there. Yeah, it was funny. Well, it's not funny, but, um, you know, Vic Fangio obviously on, on Tuesday um, said that he didn't see racism in the NFL and he was asked about activism. And the the thing that was, was interesting to me was like Vic had his – stumble on Tuesday. Then Drew Brees had his issue later in the week and you started to see guys just shoving their foot right into their mouth as like as hard as possible. And I, I thought Vix was interesting because the question was about activism in the NFL and how question. he has seen it change. Yeah. And so I asked him and I was like, hey, you know, you've been in the league a really long time and obviously 
the this got a bunch of notoriety in 2016. How have you seen the league change over that time? And Nikki, he basically said that he hadn't seen it change. And I I thought it was a fairly easy question it was to a answer. Yeah. You say it's changed a lot because it has. It's very clear right. it has. Right. You know, and we've given our players voices. And, you know, it, what happened with Colin Kaepernick, I mean, I don't think Vic is going to gonna go out and, and say it was a shame. But what happened with Colin Kaepernick really started all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And it gave these guys now the feeling that they can come out and talk about these things and and feel like they can come out and say how they honestly feel because Colin started this all the way in 2016. So Vic comes out and he kind of stumbles his way over it and then says that he doesn't see racism in the NFL. And everybody's like, what are you what are you looking about? at? <laughs> what right. league are you in? Yeah. Where have you been? Yeah. yeah. You've been in this league for 33 years. Are you, are you kidding me? And yeah. so he comes out the next day on Wednesday and issues what I thought was was a predictable statement, you know, saying mm-hmm. that what he meant to say was that that he doesn't see racism in the locker room and that he, he doesn't see it on the field, you know, where he coaches and that you get what you earn and um, – I, I just I thought it was very, very tone deaf. And the other the other part of that is this is a very, very difficult issue to talk about, especially mm-hmm. as a white male. Right. Mm-hmm. It is an uncomfortable issue to talk about. But the fact that Vic Fangio is a head coach in the NFL means that he has to be willing to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. And he leads a football team that is predominantly African-American. He has to be able to take a step back and look at this through a different lens. And he failed to do that on Tuesday. He tried to make up for it on Wednesday. But while it's uncomfortable, he had to be better prepared to talk about it. And he failed at that. And and that, to me, was was the biggest shame in, in all of this. Yeah. A few things. I I don't think Vic Fangio is racist by any means. That's not what we're saying. And I don't think anybody could think that, maybe. I think he's perhaps, you know, a little blinded. He knows his yes. own experience um, in the NFL, which, you know, I also thought maybe he would have seen that, you know, even as a white male, perhaps he experienced ageism, you know, with not getting a head coaching job until, you know, this point in his career. But, you know, I don't want to liken that to what, you know, many of his players have gone through in their personal lives and dealing with police brutality and discrimination and all the, you know, racial profiling and the like. That said, (laughs) I think it's, I think it's bad, frankly, that the Broncos have the whitest staff in the NFL. They are tied with the Raiders with only three minority coaches on offense, defense, special teams, and with their head coach. Three. They had four last year, which is ridiculous. I mean, they have 20 coaches in all three phases and including Vic, and only three are minorities. They fired T.C. McCartney, the quarterback's coach, um, after the season, he was, you know, brought in by Rich Scangarello, the offensive coordinator who was let go. I, I think the lack of diversity in NFL coaching ranks, uh, there's been tremendous discussion about that, which is also why I didn't quite understand Vic's answer. Like, how can you how can you honestly say that? Look at the people you work with, right? 
And it's gotten to the point where NFL owners went so far as to try to bribe teams mm-hmm. to hire minorities, which I think is appalling and degrading. Whatever. You know, that's a, that's a whole number, another conversation for another day. But the fact that the Broncos have only three minorities on staff and the majority of their players are minorities, that's an issue. You know, it's an issue. Now, it's not saying that you should hire minorities just to hire minorities if they're not, you know, not the right candidate for the job. That's not what we're saying at all. But, you know, that is just something to think about there. And I was that kind of added to that whole how could he possibly say that? And he coached the 49ers for four years when Colin Kaepernick was there. And, (laughs) you know, Colin Kaepernick, like what is this isn't that hard. But. Yeah. And I think what, you know, you look at the Broncos numbers and I think it can be extrapolated out to the entire NFL. It is an institutional problem of hiring minorities. Yeah. And that is an issue. And what Vic proved, whether or not he meant to, is a different story. But mm-hmm. what he proved is that there are people in the league who are blind to the fact that they exactly. have a problem with hiring minorities. Exactly. And again, this isn't to say that owners or GMs are racist. I think it's more of an unconscious bias. You know, you're comfortable with what you know and who you know, and most of them know other white coaches. Um, You know, you could also argue that there's not a strong pipeline for developing minority coaches. Um, But this is, this is a much deeper problem that is a societal problem. And that was one of the good things Vic did say is this is not yes. this is not a political issue and I agree with him on that. It, it is a societal issue. Um and it is something that needs to be changed and I, I applaud the players for really taking a stance to try to affect that change. And I think the overall the overall broad picture that we have kind of heard at least that I have heard as a white male is basically shut up and listen. Would you please shut up exactly. and listen and try and understand? And and that to me is kind of what what the NFL needs to do and, and what a guy like Vic Fangio needs to do. And, and what he said on Tuesday proved that he's not there yet. Right. You know, that, that may, and maybe things have changed. It's been a week, you know, but, but what, what we need to do as white men is shut up and listen right now. And, and only then, only when we really listen and try and understand what the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to tell us, can we really look at what we've done or what is being done in our country right now and really appreciate it and really try and make change? And so I I hope that Vic will do that. I hope that other white males will do that. You heard Justin Simmons say it in, in his part of the protest on on Saturday was to the, to my white brothers and sisters, please listen, listen to us and explain to other white people why black lives matter and that black lives matter. And only when we do that, can we actually get to the change that we need to get to? Yep. Once black lives matter, you know, it's, you have to have black lives matter for you to even have all lives matter. And and I thought that was a really important thing that he mentioned. And, you know, I go back to what champ Bailey said during his hall of fame speech Mm -hmm. last year. And, you know, I, I think it, it I think it surprised a lot of people that he went there during his Hall of Fame speech, but that speech really resonated with me and stuck with me 
for months after because the one thing he asked and really stressed and he was, you know, on the verge of tears really was to ask people to listen. You know, he wasn't asking them to fully understand, but just to listen. And I thought that was really powerful. We also had the opportunity this week to uh, talk to Malik Reed, the dream killer, as he is known in the uh, in the Broncos locker room, courtesy of Von Miller. And uh, we had a great conversation with him talking about um, this whole movement, talking about football, what he is gearing up for in his second season. Of course, he's a guy who played at Nevada, followed in the footsteps of Colin Kaepernick and Brandon Marshall. And so uh, a great conversation with him. And we want to play that for you right now. Now, I know in, in 2016, um, you know, when Colin and Brandon, both Nevada alums, started their protest, I, I know you were uh, one of the players on your team that um, raised a fist in unity during the national anthem. Why was it important for you to do that then? Um, really just to, you know, give awareness. I feel like, you know, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a big thing. That, that's a big difference that I see from, you know, that point, you know, really to now. Like, it's just really, you know, how many more people are aware now and it, you know it's sad that you know somebody had to lose their life to afford more people to become aware but um you know god always works in mysterious ways so you know the point that you know we have so many people that are aware and so many people reaching out and uh you know seeking to to understand or at least try to understand you know where where we're coming from be open you know to to open up their perspective and mindset and be and be willing to to try to walk in you know other shoes i feel like that's that's um one of the biggest biggest changes i've seen up until now and i feel like it was important to you know do it then to um to just to, to stand for something you know um beyond beyond football uh beyond beyond the nfl beyond the league you know, we're just, we, we are black men and, you know, we have to, you know, stay, stay together, you know, black, black and white. This, and it's been, I feel like it's been a black and white issue. Um, cause it, you know, it's been back, I feel like to, to slavery, really, you know, slavery ended, uh, a hundred years ago. And really, I was listening to Kiki Palmer talk about it, but she was saying that, um, when once it ended, you expected, you know, black people to feel free and to feel e- eventually equal. And then you expect, you know, white people to, to stop oppressing and, and to, you know, not feel superior to, to others. And it really wasn't, once again, it really wasn't, you know, education or any awareness or any, any you know, anybody seeking to, to, to make sure that we each, like on both sides of it, could each understand, you know, how to come together and how to view each other as, as equals and to be able to, you know, thrive as a country. And I feel like that's part of the reason, you know, we still haven't problems like this today, but I, like I said, I feel like we're moving in the right direction with, you know, how many people are aware of the situation and, and going about it. Hey, Malik, when you look at what happened in 2016 and where people are now, does it seem from your perspective like the country is more open or more willing to to listen to what you guys have to say than maybe they, the rest of the world was four years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I have a unique a unique stance because, you know, I wasn't in the league. Then, you know, I only saw really, you know, what was on TV and what the media portrayed. And I feel like, you know, back then, you know, being out of the league, it really was like, I guess it was, it was hard to see, you know, what it really was about. And, and, you know, now, 
now that you know you gain you know more understanding and you you research and try to figure out you know what was going on during that time um you definitely could see you know what, what his purpose was at that time and what he was trying to get across to the people and you know i feel like if if it was if it was more awareness like it is now back then then you know i feel like we would have been moving in the right direction up until now but you know we can't go back into the past and all we can do is just you know keep moving forward and now you know that it has so, the protests you know has so much momentum now it's really you know trying to figure out the message come together on the message that we're going to get across and and strive for change and and the thing about it is it's not going it's not going to happen today it's not going to happen tomorrow but we have to keep keep making steps and make that concerted effort to to make sure that we uh seek out equality for for everybody you know, one thing that Kareem Jackson said earlier this week was that he's 32 and he doesn't feel like he is going to see change in his lifetime. And that, to me, stood out as like a really sobering thought, um, but also a really poignant thought. So how much of of being a voice in this is not necessarily about changing things for you, but maybe changing things for for the black men and the young black boys that are going to come after yeah. you and, and come behind you. Really? Yeah. Yeah, definitely um you know, like shoot, like even back to, you know, um, I feel like back to Martin Luther King and all the all the other, you know, activists during that time, like they didn't they didn't know you know what was gonna happen during that time either but you know they was, they was doing it you know for the future generations and, and so you know we can live in a country and and some would have you know freedoms to to live live our lives and um and you know enjoy even though we're not i don't feel like it's, it's equal um to, to be able to enjoy you know the fruits like what they did uh definitely you know help propel us in the right direction and it's and the thing is, is like that's a, a reoccurring thing now. Like, like uh, I feel like Kareem said, you know, um, it's really, it's really about you know helping foster and and nurture change to where you know when we have kids like black and white, you know, they're, they're not having to deal with these same issues and and this um this thing that has become you know embedded in the country that we live in today, because. You know, it's. I feel like it's been issues like this for years and years and years, but like, really, really trying to trying to figure out how can we, you know, keep keep this, you know, train moving, you know, for change. Um, not even just today, you know, next year and years and years and years from now, because you know when we get back to football and everybody, you know, gets back to, you know, their jobs and stuff like that, that, you know, the message is not lost and that we're still seeking, seeking change throughout that, you know, even when we go about our daily lives. What has the discussion been like with teammates, coaches, um, you know, have, have guys stood up and really shared their experiences and how they feel on the matter? And, you know, have your coaches been, you know, receptive and understanding about what you guys go through? Yeah, that, that's something that, I, you know, is, has really been great, you know, um, having a chance to, you know, talk with teammates and coaches and and really just to, to be willing to, you know, sit down and, and listen to each other's perspectives and, and where each other's coming from, hear each other's backgrounds, how we grew up. I feel like it, it helps, 
um, established like a coming ground that you know we're we're all humans, and even though you know we we grew up in different ways, we we each can we each have the ability to listen and really actively listen and and um, seek to understand you know where somebody else is coming from and and to realize and really be aware. I feel like you know the meetings that we've had, and the talks that we had is is uh, led to you know more people being aware, and it allows you know us to challenge each other's perspectives and and really um broaden our perspective as well and and seek seek change together because it's not gonna happen you know just by the black community supporting this or you know it's, it's gonna take each and every person it's gonna take the white community the black community everybody around the world like i've never seen anything like this where you know all 50 states have protested uh, even even overseas you know they're protesting overseas as well like this has become Everybody like it's everybody's issue, you know. It's not just the uh, the black community's issue. It's not just the white community's issue. It's everybody's issue. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like to understand that you know the only way we can we can uh, help help create changes to to um, do it together. What was your reaction when you saw the George Floyd video? Well, it was it was you know sickening, sickening, and and sad. Like to to you know. Or something like this to happen happen again like you know it's been so so many other people you know that have lost their lives um, um in this way and to just see you know another another man um just lose his life and and you know it takes that for us to be aware um of what's going on or for everybody to be aware of what's going on and and, and you know seek to seek to help the situation um like i said it, it was it was sad and sickening to to see that and you know it's all and it's you hate to see you know someone lose their lives uh to help create change but i i um you know god god works in each and every situation so i feel like there's no coincidence that there's been this much awareness you know to what's going on and you know, you had a white, the white community, black community, every every community really, you know, speaking out and supporting, you know, what's going on. I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Hey, Malik, obviously Vic Fangio's comments on Tuesday made the rounds and got a lot of reaction. And we know that he met with you guys uh, on Wednesday. And what was what was that like? What did you take from his initial comments? And then what did you make of his apology? Um, I'm going to speak on really, you know, that we, we're all here. You know what I'm saying, and we have to be able to to you know if if we we have to be able to to accept accept the things you know that we do and accept each other you know as as people and and understand you know that that it's not just you know me against you, you against me, like that we in it together, and like if if you know something is said and somebody else doesn't agree, like you really have to to be open and listen to you know what others are saying. And I, and I thought it, I thought of uh, it was it was great, of coach. You know to be to be receptive to to hear what you know where we were coming from and to to be able to take that to heart and be able to you know be be open to what we were saying and Brian Brian his, his perspective on things and you know I, I thought it was awesome with him. Kind of want to move into some football questions too now. I mean, what has your off season been like with everything remote, and you know, where have you been training this off season? Oh, uh, I've been in Denver really. The, um, 
pretty much the entire offseason trying to, you know, figure it out, you know, asking people, asking people different uh, things about the offseason and, you know, how they approach the offseason. And pretty much the, the reoccurring thing that I got is that, you know, it's different, it's different for everybody. So really just trying to, you know, create my own, you know, routine and and just come out and, and really actually get, get good work in, but make sure, you know, you take care of your body as well. Malik, when you look back at your rookie seasons, 15 games, eight starts, two sacks, what did you take away from your first year in the NFL? What was your biggest takeaway? Really, um, man, uh, it was a whirlwind, you know, to go from, you know, limited, you know, roll on defense, uh, heavy on special teams, limited roll on defense to, you know, being coming in starting, uh, I think, about eight games on, um, you definitely learn a lot. You know, it's really just being, you know, thrown out there in the, in the fire and, you know, learning as you go. But, you know, I try to take each week at, each week at a time and just continue to, to grow and learn. Learn from uh, mistakes, um, learn from things that I do good and do well and, you know, build off of it. So I definitely feel like I got, you know, a ton of experience and, you know, was blessed to be in that position. And it was it was great to be able to go out there and, um, and uh, just just be just be out there, like you know, not many rookies, you know, come in with a, you know a huge role at the beginning. So being able to see you know different offenses, see different you know styles of offense, see different players go against different players was you know tremendous, a tremendous um, experience and definitely something I'm looking to build off of this year. What did you think of the two new veteran additions in AJ Bouye and Jarrell Casey? Uh, those are uh, huge, huge additions. Um, I know those have been two guys who have, you know, played at high levels, at, you know, at the position, you know, for years and years now. So, so to be able to add two guys like that to a defense, you know, that did, I feel like, real, really well uh, last year is just, you know, that's just a plus. And, you know, excited to get back out there and get back out there on the field and, you know, um, play with each other, you know, see each other's styles and continue to, you know, grow as a defense and grow as a team as well. How much does having a guy like that up front, Jarrell Casey, how much does it help you guys on the edge? Oh, he, he he's very disruptive, you know, from, from the, uh, just sitting there watching him. Um, he can, you know, play inside, he can play outside. So really being able to, you know, move around on the front and, and know that, you know, you have guys like Jarrell Casey and, you know, Von Miller on the line and, and Bradley Chubb, like, you know, they're really going to be locked in. You know, it's, it's not really one person you can lock in on. Um, Really, and it just it, it's make it makes it easy for everybody else. Um, the more the more uh, rushes you have like that, and the, the more uh, forces you have up front. Hey, Malik, how difficult is it to get anything done on the Zoom meetings when you have uh, DJ Sauce on the Don doing his? It's usually like one one day out of the week, so we uh, we get a lot done in our meetings. Uh, but you know, once we once we get off on Thursdays, we have to have a little fun. So yeah, Vaughn, you know, he, <laughs> he's taking his DJ thing to heart. So uh, we definitely be uh, hyping him up. Is he good? <laughs> be honest. Is he good? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's definitely he's good. Uh, he has his own intro. Like he, he's serious about this thing. So yeah, I think it's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Hey. Obviously, a lot has been made of the, the Zoom meetings and quarantine. Is is there a benefit to being able to do those via Zoom, or, or is it just totally a detriment in your mind, um, not being able to, to have the meetings in the facilities with, with everybody? Because I think uh, different players have different perspectives on how the OTAs via Zoom have gone. Well, this being my first offseason, I really ain't, ain't – I mean, I went through last season – 
But, um, you know, our schedule is kind of different from the veterans. I know they are kind of a little upset about it. But, uh, I mean, not upset, but they, I mean that they are actually, I guess, enjoying the time off, really. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Zoom meeting is more like, you know, being in the classroom. Like, I don't, I don't see that as much of a difference as, you know, being being in the uh, meeting rooms and sitting down with the coaches and stuff like that because they're able to still show us stuff like on the iPad and, you know, still get some good work in. Um, mentally as well because like you, you got to uh, train your mental as much as your physical you know in the game and the, the quicker you learn it uh, I feel like the better off you'll be even though it's been remote so far how has it been working with John Pagano uh, coach, coach is awesome um I actually played uh in the, in the NFL PA uh, collegiate ball I played for his brother uh mm-hmm. Chuck and and he was he was a great guy like um, the team, like, <laughs> the team was going out playing so hard for him just because, you know, throughout the week, um, just what kind of person, like, he showed us he was and what kind of coach he was. And, and, and his uh, Coach Pagano, um, he's really, like, he's open. He he, he lets us, you know, be ourselves. But he, he's definitely a technician. And he's definitely, a, you know, passionate about helping us get better and telling us, you know, things that we can improve on, uh, from the things that he's watched of us so far. And he really, I, I think he, he said he's uh, worked with Coach uh, Bangio before, so he, he's well-versed in the defense. Malik, in your mind, what can Broncos fans expect, not only from uh, the Dream Killer in year two, <laughs> but, but from the Broncos defense as a whole? Oh, man, uh, it's big, you know, excitement. Like, every, t- every time you touch the field, like, I feel like, you you know, they have playmakers all, all around the defense, whether it's in the back end. Uh, the rushers or our linebackers, so it, it should be fun. You should see a lot of flying around. Um, hopefully, a lot of group pictures in the end zone. Maybe a few touchdowns, defensive okay. touchdowns. Okay. <laughs> that would be, be great. That's awesome, Malik. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, really enjoyed talking to you. Really appreciate your insight. So, thank you. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Thank you all for having me. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. Really appreciate Malik Reed giving us some time. And, and Nikki, I thought he was very, very insightful, not only Mm -hmm. um, about what he has in store for year two, but maybe more importantly about the protests that have gone on uh, throughout the country. It's important to know we did that interview before the Broncos Mm -hmm. uh, protest on Saturday. And so appreciate him uh, giving us some time. And he was out there and, uh, and, and taking part in this. And Nikki, I think, you know, that is that is what has kind of stood out to me is it's not just the name guys, right? Mm-hmm. Von Miller took the stage on Saturday. He led the first block or two of the protest, but it's it's everybody else in there who maybe you don't hear from, who maybe people don't see, who have very very eloquent things to say about this and it is it is not just, hey, let's let Justin Simmons speak for the entire team. Mm-hmm. It's not just, hey, let's let Todd Davis speak for the entire team. It's finally these guys, kind of like we were hinting on earlier, feeling empowered that they can give their thoughts too. And mm-hmm. and that, to me, has really stood out over the last couple mm-hmm. of days. And there were some really impressive speeches um, during this rally. Uh, six players talked. Jeremiah Tachi went first. Um, and he told his story about moving from Nigeria to Washington, D.C. when he was eight years old, um, you know, attending underperforming schools. And then, you know, thanks to the No Child Left Behind Act, was able to attend um, a better school. And he, t- he spoke about how much that changed his life and his future and how much he wants to be a part of, 
you know, helping to change policy to, you know, eradicate racism as, as much as possible. Um, some really impassioned comments. And it's like you said, it is cool to see, you know, all these guys really embrace their platform and, you know, speak on their experiences. Um, you know, I think football at this point seems pretty trivial, but I, I think a lot of what these guys have done off the field in some ways could translate on the field. I mean, I, I would imagine this has brought them together in ways they never imagined, um, you know, just in in terms of working together to really bring change because, you know, like you said, it's not just one player. It's not just Brandon Marshall going in alone. It's not just Justin Simmons. It's, it's the whole group. And I, I think that can have a really powerful effect off the field and, and perhaps on the field too. And I, I tip my hat to these guys because we all know we're living in unconventional times. They could have hid behind that. They could have hid behind, oh, we're, we're in this quarantine, you know, COVID-19. We're all in different places of the country. There were guys who flew in specifically to be yeah. a part of that on yeah. Saturday. White guys, black guys. I mean, mm-hmm. there were guys who went out of their way to be a part of this movement. And mm-hmm. that to me is something that we haven't seen in a long time. They could have hid behind, Oh, we're not, you know, officially doing OTAs right now. You know, everything mm-hmm. looks a little bit different. They didn't. They instead mm-hmm. they chose to go out of their way to, to make these statements and be a part yeah. of this event. And I think they deserve a big, big hats off for that. And I, I really like seeing the coaches out there too. I mean, Vic was out there, uh, receivers coach, Zach Azani, walk the whole way. Defensive coordinator Ed Donatel walked the entire way. Pat Shermer walked the entire way. Um, you know, they it was more than just, you know, being there to be there to, mm-hmm. you know, for PR reasons. You know, they they fully support their players and they fully support um the cause that they're trying to bring awareness to. Um and hopefully the league as a whole continues to support them and um We'll see what the future is for Colin Kaepernick, though. That's still a sticking point for me. And Brandon. Brandon's not in the league, too. You know, you'd like to see him get a chance again. But Yeah, yeah. And I think those guys will obviously, whether or not they get a chance is one thing. I think they will continue to make their voices heard and, uh, and hats off to them for doing that. For more on this, you can, uh, find a bunch of great, uh, articles that Nikki wrote uh, on the athletic. And, uh, of course, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Nikki Javala at Michael CBS Four. uh, make sure you rate subscribe and review to our podcast. Really appreciate you guys being with us, uh, for the first 50 episodes and looking forward 50. Uh, to 50 more. And, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll have some football games yeah. to talk about this fall. And make sure you check out Michael's interview with Brandon Marshall re- recently on, on CBS's website. It's really great. Yeah, cbsdenver.com. Appreciate B. Marsh uh, giving us some time uh, for that as well. So, again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on this too. Like I said, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, make sure you leave, uh, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And uh, until next time, thank you so much for checking out Mile High Magic.